1: This is
2: Make It Plain,
1: plain. Make it plain. M-I-P, with Mark Thompson, Make it plain. Get
2: Woke. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Make It Plain. We have a very special guest with us and want to hear all about the exciting things that are taking place out on the left coast. She is the brand new president of United Teachers Los Angeles, and they have really gotten some groundbreaking things done during the pandemic in terms of um, being very involved in reopening the schools safely. And there's more to be done, by the way. We want to hear all about that. president of United Teachers Los Angeles, Cecily Mayart cruz joins us on Make It Madam President, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me here today.
2: It's it's a pleasure to have you and, and congratulations on your new administration.
1: Thank you so much.
2: So let me ask you this. I wanna go back a little bit, first of all. Mm-hmm. Were, were you uh, active in the whole strike that went down?
1: Absolutely. Um, at that time I was the um, vice president NEA vice president. Our union is both NEA and AFT. So we're a merged local, Mm -hmm. um, the second largest in the nation.
2: Wow. Um, And there was a lot you all won from that strike, wasn't it? We all watched that with with great inspiration.
1: Yes, definitely. Some of the things that we won, we really prided ourselves on being with the community working with parents, working with students and really lifting up their issues along with our issues. So a couple of things for us, we wanted to see lower class sizes. We know lower class sizes by research um, really says that you can do a lot of individual one-on-one work and really build community uh, with students when you have lower class sizes. But it was also very important to have green space Because of the issue um, with the last uh, administration in in Washington, D.C., it was very important, especially with our high numbers of uh, Latino families, to actually have an immigration fund to actually do something transformational for our Latinx community. We also uh, worked with students. Uh, Our group is called Students Deserve. And they were really pushing on ending random searches that really criminalized black and brown youth. So those were some of the things, obviously, uh, community schools, which was so huge for us. We won out of our strike 30 community schools, and those are like the hub, uh, having wraparound services. And it, that was just beautiful, making sure that we have nurses. Uh, it's hard to believe. I know when I graduated from this district, we had a nurse in every school and that has gone away, uh, eroded over the years. And so that was very important to try to get uh, and fund uh, having nurses on especially elementary school campuses.
2: Wow. Well, wow. and so the the unity and the organizing that you all were successful at during the strike. Um, you were able to apply that as well uh, when it came to negotiations around schools opening and closing during COVID, right?
1: Absolutely. We were the very first. And I remember the date, uh, March 11th of, um, I guess that was 2020. Wow. It seems so long ago. I'm like trying to remember, but it was March 11th and uh, the former president You know, called a meeting with the superintendent and with uh, the governor and with our mayor and said, we've got to close schools down now. And all of those three entities said, just let's just wait. Let's just wait. And uh we could not wait because we know that we have multi-generational homes. And that was something that was going to be huge, especially as COVID was really starting to take off. So on March 12th, we held a press conference. We said we're shutting the, the schools down. We urge everyone to do so. And on March 13th, our district um, said they were closing schools. And that was really the last day. And um, because we took such bold action, it allowed other districts in our vicinity to also do the same and shut their doors as well. And I do believe that that was the absolute right and righteous decision for the communities that we serve.
2: Um, and there were also people have called what you've done a model, you know, and, I, and, I've, and I've, I've talked to all my national friends at AFT and NEA. Uh, you all kind of set the tone for, I think, what a lot of school districts had to look at. And you all held your ground in terms of premature reopening and being sure that everything was safe. And then and then of late, you're making a case, which really blows my mind. I, this even this is a case that even has to be made. But but over testing students trying to do assessments right in the middle of a of a pandemic. That doesn't make any sense at all.
1: I'm right there with you. It makes (laughs) zero sense, Um, especially in a pandemic. And it's you know, it's astonishing to me. So I'll take the latter part first. It's astonishing to me to actually say, you know, in 2020, Um, It was fine for us to not have standardized testing because we were in a pandemic. Everybody was in agreement. But then when you turn around, we're like, hello, we're still in a pandemic. So you mean that you're trying to bring folks back to schools, reentering schools to only test? Well, who wants to do that? It makes absolutely it just makes zero sense. When we are bringing babies back to class, there is a whole shift that is going to happen, not only with our students, with their families, in the communities, and with our educators. Like We have got to dial in on social emotional learning like never before. We have undergone the most traumatic, unprecedented times of our lives. That's all of us included. And to think that you're just going to put that to the side, uh, hold up on your trauma. Let's do these tests. Those tests mean nothing. It's a snapshot. I don't know how many folks out there uh, do well on standardized tests. I never did. That is not something that I, that I excelled in, but it doesn't mean that um, I am not worthy. Um, of the next level of education. So I think that's where we have to say like pause for the cause and actually um let's dial in on mental health supports, what our babies truly need.
2: Yeah. And how are are you all going to ensure that happens? What's the process at, at the LA Unified School District? Cause you're absolutely right. This, this is trauma for everybody. And, and, Students, first of all, and I mean, let's face it, it's obviously trauma for for parents and, and teachers. I had a Randy Weingarten on last week, and she was talking about how important our schools are to communities and that ultimately schools are going to have to really provide some form of wraparound services for students, for parents, for teachers. How are you all uh, approaching that in, in the L.A. Unified School District?
1: Right. You know, and that is the reason why I, I lifted up the community schools model, right? That is a model that can be used because those community schools that uh, we have, because there were 17 the first go around, and then there's another, an additional 13 coming up for getting on, on the, the mark this year. They did some amazing work within communities. They held fundraisers. They worked with different entities to have food drives, diaper drives, medicines, and so forth. I mean, just remarkable. So that is one that we have got to press this district in actually looking to our most marginalized and most vulnerable communities to say, this would be a perfect spot to have a community school and actually take a needs assessment of what the folks need in the community, not a top-down approach, an actual needs assessment to say, what is it that they need? And let's fill that gap, especially with our homeless youth, Mm -hmm. especially with our foster youth. Uh, That is so important. And we've got to stay on the district for those pieces.
2: Yeah. Now, I, I've been seeing some of these reports too. I mean, you have these in all these states, Florida and places like that. There were some parents, I guess, representing the conservative sides of things who would demand Let's open schools right away. We need our kids back in, back in school. Were you able to do anything to, 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 to win them over in this process?
1: Well, and I wouldn't say there were just conservative parents. I I do think that there were many parents that are progressive and say they're progressive and liberals and that supported our strike. I think there has to be a time where we come back together and Mm -hmm. engage. I, I cannot stress enough that I understand the frustration That folks were under, right? It was a year that was supposed to be two weeks, right? But because of all of the COVID variants and all of the hard hit areas, that's why we were in the place that we were. So I understand the frustration. I'm, I'm a single parent of a beautiful, you know, fourth grade uh, student in this district. And we learned alongside each other for the whole year, uh, trying to manage our Zooms. I mean, he's on his Zoom right now, and I'm like, "Don't come over here!" But I mean, trying to figure out. Okay, you stay over here. You're in your room, trying to figure this out, and it is frustrating. I mean, there was many times that when my son was so frustrated if his if the Wi-Fi dropped, and he was like. You've got to call my teacher and say that I'm not uh, ditching my class, you know, and I say that to say I, I understand the the visceral response of parents saying I've got to get my kid back into school. But what we the union and me as a parent, I want it to be safe, not only for my kid for every kid in this district. That's what they deserve. And we can't open up different pockets of schools because transmission rates are lower over there. Our school district is 725 square miles. A lot of people don't understand that. We have very wealthy affluent areas and we have very low socioeconomic areas. And if you open up in a place where the one, the annual income is $150,000 and their transmission rate is less than 2%, but then you go over to South Central where you have folks uh, earning uh, almost $30,000 a year, but your transmission rates are triple the rate, how is that equitable? And so if we're looking at something completely dynamic in LA Unified, we have to look at all of the variables because we don't want to leave out any child from schooling. We just can't do it. And we had to make sure that we weren't talking about the least of these. We had to make sure that as the teachers union.
2: Yeah. More MIP after this message. You mentioned uh, the nurses, too. Speaking of the the PTSD, um, is there a plan um, for 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 therapy for students and teachers and parents ultimately? And if so, how, how would that be implemented? How would that be made available?
1: Yes. I mean, we have some dynamic, we have dynamic nurses, we have dynamic counselors, we have dynamic psychologists and psychiatric social workers. And I have to say that uh, they have been doing a yeoman's job during this pandemic, reaching out, doing suicide risk assessments. Just doing the most. And we know that it's going to take much more. One of the issues is that we need more bodies. Mm. This is going to be a time for real reinvestments. And that is the reason why when you look at Biden's American Recovery Act and that $125 billion being funneled into education, this is what it should be for. To hire in, uh, folks, uh, school and safety climate coaches, right? That actually will do the one-on-one work with our babies. It's going to be so essential. And, you know, I, I really do feel that we have to, as parents, as educators, um, as folks, taxpayers, folks have to understand that this coming back to schools, this return of schools is going to be different for the years to come. It's not going to look like how it's looked for years before. Like you're going to be coming in with masks and PPE and all of these things and be, you know, sitting in one seat for you know a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. And single file and so forth. And we want to make sure that, you know, our babies are not criminalized in the process as well. So, I mean, those are very real, uh, tangible things that we need to make sure to watch out for, to um, listen in what is happening uh, with our kids and our communities. And our parents' Um, especially our parents in the in our black and brown communities, our most vulnerable and marginalized communities, we're going to need them like never before yeah. to engage upon this work,
2: yeah. Um, no, that's a, that's a very good point. And, and, and speaking of the reinvestment, I, I uh, did a show yesterday on the latest jobs report, and I'll repeat for the audience, I'm sure you wear this. Um, one. million jobs lost since February, 2020 at the state and local level. The majority of those were in education, state and local government, 378,000 jobs in education at the state and local level, 863,000. So you're absolutely right. Because I mean, you talk about everybody from the, from the custodial staff to the cafeteria people. And these are folks who need jobs and income and have children. <laughs> and those so- are our
1: students. Right. And those right, are our right. students. Those are our parents.
2: That's right. No, that's absolutely, absolutely. right. So, so you're right about that. Um, so have schools fully reopened yet in LA?
1: No, they are going to be on a staggered schedule. Okay. So they're uh we're making preparations. We just held a tentative agreement, and so that our schools will start to come back April 12th for the elementary grades, then there's a, a layer on April 19th and then April 26th for middle and high schools. So though that will be happening. and of course, you know if anything jumps off around any variance, uh, we will have to go back to the table because we have those three safety measures in place uh, for this reason. Uh, because we want to protect our communities that we serve. We want to make sure that our educators are safe and that our babies are safe. That is going to, it's a wholesale safety measures that must be adhered to.
2: Yeah. So how are vaccinations going for teachers? Are they adequate and equitable? Is that going okay?
1: It's now going okay, But when they started on March 1st, well, there were just a lot of I I would call it a ramshackle mess through our county. And a lot of folks were saying, well, how come you guys can't be like Long Beach, um, who uh, made sure to get all of their um, educators vaccinated? But the difference between L.A. and Long Beach, Long Beach has its own centralized health department. LA, we have to rely on LA County. And so, you know, and then, you know, you pit folks against each other because what was happening in LA, which that the, the superintendent and myself were saying, this is wrong. When you have nudie bars, you have the cannabis dispenser places, all of those folks were able to get vaccinations and still, oh, yes. And still educators were not and um, essential workers working in the grocery industry were not. So when you prioritize uh, card rooms and clubs and so forth and so on over actual essential workers, the first people after doctors and nurses should have been grocery store workers. That should have been the case. But then what happened is, You know, the governor and folks pushed us to the front of the line saying educators have to go. And then grocery workers are like, we've been here and we. So that was a whole dynamic. And we were saying, like, we didn't ask to move to the front of the line. We agreed that you should have been. But it also says. What actually happens in our county? And then there were so many folks pointing fingers. And of course, they were saying that uh, the district and our union were being, you know, blockades to vaccines like, no, we've asked for vaccines from from day one. And, you know, I mean, that's that's what happens. We asked for that. So, you know, here we are. You know, we've had a a few stumbling blocks where you had, you know, folks actually being able to get vaccinated. And then the county saying, well, the governor said that you're going to get this extra. So we're going to take some from you. And when you have the superintendent calling me saying, hey, do you have some friends in the legislature? Can you get a message through? And, you know, get a message to the governor to say, hey, they're playing games with getting the vaccines again. So that's what I did. Got on the phone, used our our network to say, like, this is what's happening. And that's what happened during the process. And of course, you know, the news media doesn't pick that up.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations on all your hard work, all of your critical work. Folks, this is where the rubber meets the road. I mean, this is the front line. This is where our children are. And this affects all of us. We send our children off to school. We want to make sure they're safe. And we also ought to have some regard. Y'all know what I like to preach about. We also ought to have some regard for the people who know. Don't ask anybody else about schools without asking teachers first. They know they're, they're present. Teachers are, are in the classroom. Um, and so they're the ones who really uh, need to be listened to and heard from, um, at this moment. Um, and Cecily Maillard Cruz is making sure that is happening, especially, uh, out in the LA Unified School District. Um, let me also mention to the audience, she is the first woman of color to lead United Teachers Los Angeles in what, 50 years. So congratulations on that as well we thank you for joining us good good luck to that to that young man that fourth grader yes uh, and, and and hope y'all don't get on each other's nerves too much more everybody's been going through that uh, yeah. we all do yeah. cool. it's
1: well, all love all the time though
2: all love but we thank you uh for joining us and uh appreciate all the hard work you're doing and the example you're setting really for school systems around the country okay
1: yes thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure